Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Tonight's sermon is entitled Elijah by lead pastor Rex Johnson. I want to talk to you tonight. I feel a, I feel a spirit of Elijah on me tonight. I really do. And I want to talk to you tonight about that man. I want to talk about Elijah tonight. Here's what I want to talk about tonight. I, I just kind of want to set a stage for some of you. I want to minister to your heart, but I want to, I want to speak to you tonight from my my heart about this man, and uh, if, if you want to follow along, we're going to First Kings 18 tonight, First Kings chapter 18, and I want you to say, Pastor, speak to us tonight. You may be seated, amen. God wants, above all in our lives, to have our hearts. He wants to have our worship. He wants to have our focus. He wants to have our adoration. God will not be anything but number one. The first of the Ten Commandments said, You shall have no other gods before me. When Jesus was questioned what was the most important commandment, he said, Above all else, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. God wants all, not just a part of our hearts, which gives good reason, which gives which gives good reason that if you are the enemy slash Satan, what you would try to do to hurt God. Exactly this. Satan would try to take the hearts of the people away from the one true God and try to get people to worship and serve false gods. Say amen to that. Putting false gods in the place of the one true God is called the sin of idolatry. Write this down. False gods promise what only the true God provides. Write that down. False gods promise what only the true gods provide. For example... Money is a pretty good popular false god, don't you think? If you agree, say yes. Money is very pop. Say it's pop. Yeah, it's good. What does money do? Money promises what only God can provide. Money says if you have enough money, you'll be happy, you'll be secure. That's what many people believe about the false god of this thing called money. But in reality, once you get enough money and someone says you have cancer, and you have only 30 days to live, you realize it doesn't really matter how much money you have. At that time, it does matter how much God you have. It doesn't make you secure. It's a false promise. I don't care how much money you have. If you find out one day you've lost one of your children, I've been there. There's no amount of money that can buy you happiness at that moment. It's a false promise. It's a false God. It promises something it cannot and will not provide. In the life of Elijah, many people were living idolatrous lives. They were worshiping, they were serving false gods. Elijah was called by God to confront the very evil king named Ahab, who was married to a very wicked woman named Jezebel. Ahab, if you'll study the Bible, was the 19th consecutive evil king in Israel. And the scripture says he did more evil in the eyes of God than anyone before him, so he was the worst of the worst. And of all of his long list of sins and wickedness, the worst thing he did was he continued turning the hearts of the people away from the one true God toward the false gods of Baal and Asherah. Baal was the sun god or the fire god. Asherah was kind of like Baal's wife in the God world. And the people were no longer worshiping the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They were worshiping false gods. And false gods promise, if you worship me, we'll make your crops grow. If you worship me, we'll make you have a better life. 
But false gods promise what only our God can provide. Amen. God raises up Elijah. He really does. Who confronts the king and basically says, because of your idolatry, God has sent me to tell you it's not going to rain until God tells me to pray and ask it to rain. So Israel is in this major drought. Tons of people are dying. It's just a famine. Worst thing imaginable. And God sends Elijah into a period of what he calls hiding and preparation. Why? Because King Ahab wanted Elijah dead. He said to everybody, you find him, you kill him on the spot. And so God takes Elijah to a place called Kareth Ravine. Kareth means the place of cutting, which means cutting down. It's a place of humbling where God humbled Elijah and developed him into a stronger man of God. And God fed him by the morning and God fed him by the evening by ravens who flew in and would drop bread and meat. I'm a New Testament preacher and I have lived some of those things in my own life when I pastored the church in Dallas, Texas. No, ravens didn't come, but miracles came week after week to feed our family. And he drank from the brook. But one day the brook dried up and God called him to move on to a place called Zarephath, a place of fire where there was a widow who God used to provide for him. And just a little bit of oil and just a little bit of flour that never miraculously ran dry. She made a cake for him and kept making cakes for she and her son. But one day that son, that widow's son died, and the growing man of faith took the son to an upper room, laid down on him three times, called out to God, and God raised that boy from the dead. Amen. And we see the prophet developing into a man of God that God wants to become him to become. Now, we know that he went into hiding, but we find out now that God wants him, after he's put him into hiding and put him in a place of cutting and put him in a place where the fire can touch him, God brings him out to confront the evil king. And that's where we pick up the story. So here we go. We're going to preach right now. It's about three years, three and a half years of drought. In fact, fact, 42 months. And the king, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we see them together, Elijah and Ahab. And the scripture says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Now the word, Hebrew word translated as trouble means snake or viper or asp. That's a very poisonous snake, an asp. He said, you no good low down snake. That's what he called the preacher. Boy, that's a great thing to call a prophet, isn't it? You could tell they was on good terms. They ate dinner together that Sunday. It's your fault this is all happening. And all these people are dying with this huge drought because of you, Elijah. And Elijah said, I'm not taking that from you at all. So he pops back toward the king because God's got him revved up. God's fed him with ravens. God's made him humble. God's set him on fire. God's let him raise the dead. He said, no, no, no. I have, I'm, not, I'm not in trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's command. You followed Baal. You're committing the sin of idolatry. You are putting false gods ahead of the one true God. Now, I'm going to preach in a minute. And Elijah was confronting the very popular idea that there are many gods. A couple of words I learned in seminary. I want to share them with you right now. You may not know these words, but they are words monotheism. Say it, monotheism. And say polytheism. Now, if you're taking notes, monotheism is the belief that there is one God. All right? As Christians, we are monotheistic in our beliefs. Polytheism, on the other side, believes that there are multiple gods. Everybody say multiple gods. And Elijah was confronting a very polytheistic culture where they would worship multiple gods. 
Now, those of you who are Christian would say, well, we are monotheistic, Pastor. We believe in the one true God. But even though we believe in one God, even though we believe in that, many of us live what I would call polytheistic lifestyles. We believe in God, but in reality, we worship and serve many times false gods. Most people I know aren't worshiping false gods of Baal or Asherah. In reality, the false gods today, the people worship and serve are more socially acceptable. I want to be honest with you. A lot of people worship the false god. They become polytheistic over this thing called money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Say amen to that. People worship the false gods of material possessions. The more we have, they think the more happier we can be. You know, your house, your car. Some people worship their image. You don't believe that, look on Facebook. They're taking their picture all the time. <laughs> it could be your favorite sport. I have, I have some issues sometime with that. I really do. I'm having a problem with the Dallas Cowboys this year already. <laughs> Thank God the Spurs are in my life. Amen? I'm being very transparent with you. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to us. It could be your career. It could be your hobby. I mean, oddly enough, it could be your kids. You know, there's a thing called kidolatry. You put your kids ahead of God. Everything your kids want to do is becomes before what you need to do for the Lord. Amen? When you elevate anything to that rightful place of one true God and put anything on the throne of your life besides Him, that's idolatry. Even something as good and as important as your children. So that's why I would ask the question to all of you today to identify them. What are the false gods that you serve? I've had a few in my life. I'm not proud of them. But one is, and it's just very obvious to me, and I'm going to tell you about three of my gods in my life, okay, my false gods. Some of you will never tell me yours, but I'm going to tell you mine. One of them is I've made the church, the ministry, what I do. Sometimes in my 44 years, I have made it the most important thing in my life. Even to turning my back on my family. Even to walking away from important people in my life that I needed to help. Because bless God, I'm serving the church. I've got a ministry. And it's obvious that serving church and you people, you're my calling. And it's what I'm here to do. But yet I have been guilty of making the church number one and not God Almighty number one in my life. And I have seen preachers make shipwreck of that because they have put the church and their calling and their ministry ahead of the presence of God in their life. Listen to me. There is nothing greater in your life than being in the presence of Almighty God. And there's nothing more awesome in your life than making Him number one in your life. Amen. Amen. So... You know what I did several years ago? I said, I'm not going to have that in my life anymore. I started resigning this church every Sunday. Before I come out of my office, every Sunday morning, I resigned this church. I said, God, I'm resigning today. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah, I am. I'm not pastor of this church, God. He said, well, who is? I said, you are. And God, all I want to do is worship you and just present you today to these people one more time. And sometimes when I really, really do resign is when I really, really do preach on Sundays. Because I believe with all my heart, even something as great as church does not need to be greater than the God of the church. 
even seeking gifts in your life is not greater than the giver of gifts. Come on. Even saying, I want to be a healer is not greater than having the healer in your life. Another thing, very honestly, is that my family at times has been an idol to me. It has. And family's good. And I love my wife. She's sitting over here, and I love all my girls. But the truth is, when I put them at number one, most important place in my life too many times, I thought years ago I could not live without my son. I literally adored that boy. But guess what? I have. But I have found somebody I really can't live without. And that's my God. I can't live without him. What I'm doing tonight is just trying to bring you back and let you understand that this was not a man who served the God of Israel against all these people who served these gods. We have those gods in our life also. There's things in our life that would hinder us from being the full potential that God wants us to be. And I'm trying to plug you in because we're moving into a realm in this church that we've got to be plugged in to the fact that he is my Savior. He is my God. And there's nothing greater in my life than him in my life. Come on, put your finger up. He's number one in our life. That's what I'm trying to preach. Be seated, be seated, be seated, be seated. Another false God for me is kind of what I call the promise of future security. I've given everything that I've ever made away. I just give it away. Somebody said, Pastor, that's ignorant. Oh, don't have to tell me that. Don't use that word on me. I've used it on myself. If I can just save enough, you know, I think if I can just save enough and one day somewhere out there in the future, then I'll have secure things and I won't need anything. But it's a false God of future security. And I, and I, I, really, I really feel sometime that we, we as people, what we aim for is retirement instead of refirement. We're looking for a place to quit instead of a place to start again. And I, I want to preach to you because I want you to understand that things that are so small, so minuscule, can be a God greater than the God that you worship. I used to say stuff like, I love this, I love this. And a pastor rebuked me one day and said, you don't love those things. You love God. You like those things. And like is not the same as love. Come on, somebody say, I love the Lord here tonight. I may like some things, but i got to get plugged from those things that separate me, and I put that in the place of the God that I worship. I must worship the one true living God in my life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God must be worshipped. It's called the sin of idolatry. So we may be monotheistic in our belief, but our practices are often polytheistic. So Elijah the prophet steps into this polytheistic culture and makes a very strong statement. You're taking notes. I could summarize this, this story in one message. The people are wavering, and he says, with all the authority of God, people, it's time to quit this wavering. It's time. Quit wavering between the gods. Quit going back and forth. It's time to quit wavering. We're going to have a good old-fashioned showdown here today. Watch what he says to the king in verse 19 through 21. King, now summon all the people up from all over Israel to meet on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. May I pause for a moment and say that's one big honking table. 
850 prophets of the false gods. I had to say that. Verse 20. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel, and he assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Verse 21. Elijah went before the people, and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. If Elijah were here today, he'd say the same thing to us. Quit wavering. I mean, what do you really want? Do you want the gods of this world that cannot deliver what the God of heaven can deliver? Or do you want the God of heaven in your life that can do for you what no God on this earth can do? That's what he's saying. And I know that this sounds like a redundant message here tonight. But hear my prayer, Lord. I I don't want to obey your command. God, I want good things from you, but I want want to hold on to the bad things too. God, no, quit wavering. Quit being a Christian on Sunday and a heathen on Monday. Quit claiming Christ and living like you don't know him. Quit wanting the benefits of being unwilling to sacrifice. Just quit wavering and take a side in your life. That's all you got to do. You got to take a side. Whose side are you on? You on the Lord's side? You on money's side? In fact, if we try to conceptualize Elijah's message today, and here's what I honestly think he would say. If your false god, little g, is really a god, then sell out to it, okay? In other words, he said if material possessions, if they're really the most important thing, then quit just kind of accumulating them, but go for it. I mean get into massive debt. Go after them. Steal if you have to. Go rob a bank. I'm not joking about it. Because if he, if that's the greatest thing is accumulation, then everything should be justified and stealing would be justified. And don't ever give again. Don't ever do anything generous because that would then diminish your ultimate goal of accumulating. If material possession is truly your God, then go for it. That's what he was saying. If your image... If that's truly God, then you don't just kind of do it. I mean, get in that gym three hours a day. Some of you are going, oh, yeah, I'm there, baby. I'm there. You know, I tan it, I tweak it, I tat it, I puff it, I tuck it, I lift it, I twist it, I curl it, I color it, and then I funk it. I'm funky. I mean, whatever it is, do it. Do that gym and just ignore the fact you're going to die someday. Don't think about that. That would totally disqualify the God of your appearance. But whatever clothes you need to go for, go for it, okay? Sexual pleasure. If that's your God, go for it. Go for it. Don't let something as small as a marriage hold you back. That's what Elijah's saying. If you're not married, more power to you. If you're married and you're not, you know, step outside of marriage. I mean, whatever side of the street you want to play, just go ahead and play it. Do whatever you want. Go for it. If that's your God, do it. That's what he was saying. Your house, is that your God? Quit doing one room at a time. I mean, go into debt. Go big time debt. Go get you a second, third lien. Hire the best. Landscape it. Put new carpet in. Put new flooring in. Put new counters in. Put new bars in. Put everything in. If that's the thing your God, quit playing around and go for it. But if Christ, the Son of God, the one true God is your God, then quit your wavering. That's what he's saying. That's what, happened at, that's what happened at Carmel. That's what happened at Mount Carmel. He's saying, hey, whose side are you on? What side are you a part of? Don't just claim him and then live like he doesn't exist. Serve him. So 
I feel the power of Elijah looking directly at me saying, Rex, 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 quit your wavering, son. Stop it. And here I'm saying to our church, quit wavering. We are in position right now. We're in position right now to see a rain. To see a rain. See, I know what follows Carmel. I know what follows when people make up their mind to really serve and sell out to God. See, I know what's on the other side. There's a rainstorm coming. The drought's going to be gone. Revival's going to hit the land. We're going to be running in the rain. We're going to be getting wet. We're going to be sharing the good news of Jesus Christ all over this city because I know what's on the other side. Once you ever get locked in to hear, O Israel, my God is my Lord. I know what's coming. And you know what's coming. And it's the blessing of God that we cannot contain. So Elijah says, get me two bulls, one for me and one for them. We're going to build a couple of altars. We're going to sacrifice. And we're going to call on your God and we're going to call on my God. We're going to see who's really God. Let's pick it up here as the story happens. Verse 24. Then you call on the name of your God. And I will call on the name of the Lord. And the one who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. And what they were thinking is, you idiot. Elijah, you're an idiot. You know what you're dealing with? We're talking about the God of Baal. Baal is the sun god. That means hot, sun, fire. The God of Baal is going to set that thing. You won't even get a chance to offer your sacrifice. I guess they flipped a corner. Elijah said, you go ahead, go first. You're going to get smoked, silly prophet, because Baal is fire. It's hot. It's going to come down and consume the sacrifice. And so he's in on the deal. Verse 26 says, so they took the bull. They prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, 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 answer us. There was no response. No one answered. So they danced around a little bit around the altar that they had made. I did a little research on that dance. I'd like to, like to do it for you, but you might not come back. Honestly, it was a goofy, 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 goofy dance. It was goofy. It was buck dancing. It was losing your mind, going crazy, twirling, jumping, leaping, screaming. Kind of like what you do at a rock concert. Uh-oh. I went to see the Kings of Leon a couple of summers ago, and I saw this kind of dance. Brought a lot of sweat, but no fire. Full body, jumping up down. Nobody dances like that today. Not in church. Nobody does it, maybe except if a great singer comes or if you're watching Extreme Home Makeover and they say, move that bus, and they go, oh, And they, they kind of go crazy sometimes. I guess I would too. But I'm the, you know, in a sports world, now I don't know how much we're going to be jumping at the Texas games this year. But in a sports world, you know, sometimes, sometimes you can get goofy. Sometimes you can get goofy. You know, when Navy plays Army, whoever wins throws their hats in the air. You don't even worry about whose hat you get back. You just throw the hat in the air. And sometimes at, 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 at ball games, we can go absolutely nuts. We can go crazy. I mean, when, when, when the Spurs won their championship this year, I was there on that night. I clapped a little. I'm talking to me. I, I'm, and every time I would kind of, 
yes. Say, calm down, calm down. You got to be that. You got to be a whole bunch more than that to Jesus Christ, your Almighty God. Yeah. Sorry, Lord. I can't wait till Sunday. Can't wait till Sunday, Lord. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's so easy. You know, I don't, I don't take my shirt off at games, though, and paint my stomach. I wouldn't want anybody to see this ripped body. This body ripped by Bluebell. I don't want anybody to see it. You never have to worry about that. But you know, sometimes, sometimes, in, in, you know, <laughs> you know, we're playing games and we're out there playing and we're slapping each other. Way to go, buddy. Way to go. We're playing softball. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. We're, we're into it. We're a part of it. There's a staff pastor that's here tonight. I don't know if he's in the building or not, but he may be in the building. Maybe over on the front row. I don't know. But he roots for Arkansas. And when they played Auburn the other day, he said he was in the floor. In the floor saying, oh. And his wife said, get up. My God, get up. It's no worse than me. But, but, but I have to come back. I have to come back. And it's not Mitch. I have to come back. And I have to come back and realize it's so easy to slip into false god worship. When those things matter more than your relationship with Almighty God, they matter too much. Oh, God, I'm not trying to be hard, but I'm just telling you it's important to understand nothing is going to happen in your life when you put things above what God is in your life. The fire will never fall in your spirit when you put things above what God means to you in your life. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Somebody needs to clap your hands real big because we are moving into a realm of the spirit. We're moving there. So nothing. So at, at, at verse twenty-seven at noon, Elijah begins to taunt him. Why don't you shout louder? I don't think he can hear you. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in a deep thought. Perhaps he's busy. He's traveling. Maybe he's sleeping, and somebody needs to go wake him up. That's what he said. What's he doing? He's messing with them. He said, "I know he's a god, but maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's taking a little siesta. He's got milk and cookies. He's taking a little nap." This is new translations. It's not King James. Here's something funnier than anything. What he says, maybe he's busy. What he's really saying is, this is funny. I've studied this in the Hebrew. He said, maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's relieving himself in the bathroom. Now, I'm just picturing this. Elijah said, you've got to shout louder. You've got to get him out of the bathroom because he's in there. He's trying to keep a straight face, but he wants to laugh real bad. Where is your God? Maybe we need to put down a newspaper. Maybe he's busy. So if... You read on verse 28 through verse 35. I'm trying to hear they shout louder. They dance harder. They went crazy. They started to cut themselves because that's what they did. And the scripture says they shouted all day long. Sadly, though, many of us, we don't dance for the false gods all day long. Many of us do it all lifetime long. Somewhere in our life, I, 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 I don't know who I'm preaching to. I'm preaching to me partly, but somewhere in our life, we've got to make him Lord of all in our life. 
He's got to be preeminent in our life. Are you with me? Come on. He's got to be preeminent in our life. And so, so Elijah does this. He said, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and said, and he prayed. At the end of the day, nothing happened. So Elijah's turn comes. He prayed, and he didn't dance. He didn't shout. He didn't cut himself. He didn't do everything he could to get God's attention. He just prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that these people will know, O Lord, that you are God and that and that you are, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Here's a little of my own interpretation. He said, answer me, O Lord. Reveal yourself. Show us who you are. Let us see you. Reveal yourself by fire. May we feel the heat of your love. Show us who you are. Why? So that you may turn the hearts of the people back again because they used to know you. They used to walk with you. They used to serve you. They used to worship you. But these false gods have taken your place. Oh, God, turn their hearts back again. Now, as I read that, I know that the fire came and licked the sacrifice. I know that the barrels of water, 12 of them, were all licked up. I know the fire consumed the sacrifice, and I know the God of fire answered. And when he did, when he did, the people said, the Lord, he is God. 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 What I want to happen at Christian Life Church, we don't, the fire is not going to fall through this roof and consume us. That would scare people silly. You know, you know, fire's hot. Do you understand that? Fire's hot. How many of you have ever played the fire game on the stove? You know, we used to play the fire game. Run your hand over a flame, see how long you could hold it there. You know what I'm saying? You never did that? Maybe I was serving Baal and Asherah and you wasn't, you know. We cousins, whoever held their fire, hand over the fire, the longest one. What did we win? Just a prize of, man, you're tough. I burnt these hands before, not second, third degree, but I burn them because I, and boy, I'm going to tell you something, you can't hold them there very long because it's going to get you. And what happened is the fire consumed that sacrifice. Now, that's not going to happen. We're not going to have fire fall. I've heard preachers preach, say, Lord, let the fire that fell on Pentecost fall on us and let it happen, yada, yada, yada. And, and I love it. I love to preach about it, but we're not going to see that literal fire. I don't think. I could be surprised, but I don't think. Because it'd have, to, it'd have to really get a hold of us. But I do think what he means is there's got to be a passion. Passion is red hot. There's got to be a passion. How many remember when you first met your wife, first met your husband? Come on now. Oh, God have mercy. <laughs> you, know, you, you know what? I, I, I'm almost done. But you know what? You know what? When, when, I, when I first married Patty, when I first married Patty, you know, and I would come home from those long trips when I was working in the youth department, and, and I would come home from those long trips three or four days. <laughs> That's a long trip back in that time. And I would see her. I didn't have to get out a manual out of my pocket and say, when you see your wife after you've been gone for several days, smile at her. Number two, then go and hug her. Number three, if you feel it, kiss her. Number four, Bend her backwards and say, I love you. That is the instruction manual for you today. When I saw that girl, hook that manual. 
throw that manual away. There was something red hot inside my soul. You understand that? And I'd go and I'd pick her up and I'd say, baby, I love you. Yum, 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 She'd say, baby, you're embarrassing me. I said, I don't care. I don't care. I was in love with her. I had passion for her. Now, those kisses now have turned to prayers in the morning. Lord, bless my wife. And I pray for my wife, and I want her to have a great day, and I pray for her. But I'm passionate about her. The Lord said, when you come into my place, I don't want you to carry passions from other things into this house. I want you to carry a red-hot passion for me into this house. Because when you carry a red-hot passion for me, hear me, hear me, hear me. When you carry a passion for me, I'm going to bless you with things from the heavenlies that you can't contain. I'm going to bless you with great blessings. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon this church. I'm going to bless you, folks. We are in one of the greatest times in our life, and we've got to be void of other passions. We've got to get our heart on Him. We've got to saturate our soul with Him. We've got to throw away the manual of how-to. We've got to make love. To Almighty God in our life. Amen. When you get out of your car on Sunday morning, start walking in this place singing and worshiping and clapping your hands. This ought to be the greatest place in the world for you to come on Sunday. It ought to be the number one place in your life to be on Sunday. I got two more minutes. It ought to be the most happy place in all the world. It ought to be the most dynamic place in your life. It ought to be the glorious place of heaven on earth in your life. I believe church is a little bit of heaven on earth. It ought to be a place where you walk in and say, my need will be met today. It ought to be a place where you walk in and say, I will be healed today. It ought to be a place where you walk in and say, I will be delivered from situations in my life today. Come on now, it ought to be that kind of place. But you got to get devoid of those polytheistic thinkings. Because God's not going to be in competition with all your gods. He's going to be Lord of all, he's not going to be Lord at all. And I love him today. It burned up the sacrifice, it burned up the wood, it burned up the stone, the soil, it licked up the water. False prophets had poured it, it licked up the water. When all the people saw this, they fell and said, the Lord, he is God. There's got to be a flaming, passionate love to baptize our hearts. Very simple message. A great, great story from the Bible. But something has got to turn our lives to make him number one in our life. My preaching can't be number one. He's got to be number one. This church attendance can't be number one. He's got to be number one. My family can't be number one. He's got to be number one. My future can't be number one. He's got to be number one. He's got to be the Lord of my life. And when he is, things are going to happen great in my life. We're not going to be separated. We're going to be united with one in him. Amen. Stand to your feet, you're awesome people. I love you very, very much. So if you know God for who he is, you'll never be tempted to serve false gods because the one true God is so much greater. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.